morning. It's great to be here to share God's word with you this morning. And as uh, Pastor Ben already mentioned, we are jumping ahead to the ninth and 10th commandments, continuing this 10 commandments series. And uh, this morning, the commandments we're especially going to be focusing on are those commandments that deal with coveting. And I already kind of talked about it with the kids. But, but it's that idea of having this, this desire for something that you don't have or something that someone else has, which isn't always wrong in and of itself, but it's when you're not happy, when your life is out of balance, when you're starting to, to bend your morals and your principles on, unless you get it and until you get it. You're just not happy. Now, again, we want to just always keep in mind as we study these commandments what, what I think your pastors have been doing a great job of reminding you throughout this series, that these are not God's words to us that, okay, just got to follow this, get this done, and then I'm good with God. We're, we're way off if we're going to start with that premise. Um, it, it's not God saying to us, here's your path to me. These commandments are from the God who has already told us that we we can never be what he wants in and of ourselves, but he himself came and he sent his son to die for us. And, and, and through that sacrifice, Christ gave us and was for us. We are forgiven and totally, completely loved by him already. It's from that God, then, that these words come to us so that we have everything we need for our faith and for our life, especially these commandments, because here God again and again comes to us and he reminds us, this, this is why you need me and this is why you need my grace, my undeserved love. And in these commandments, he's also kind of showing us those places that if, if we weren't aware of them, it would be very easy for us because of culture, because of our own um, hearts, which are still tainted by sin, for us to kind of start to wander from God and pretty soon no longer be in that relationship with him. So with that in mind, though, let's get started uh, this morning with that, that, those ninth and 10th commandments. Now, again, the word of God that we're going to be considering is from Ecclesiastes, and that's printed on page 5. We'll get to that in a little bit, but just so you can have that there in front of you, um, I'll be referring to that throughout the message this morning. Before we do that, I want to just mention a phenomenon that I heard about a long time ago. I don't remember when it was. Didn't really think about it until I started kind of pondering these commandments and, and, and what it really means to covet and why we do it. It's the, the, the phenomenon of something called a phantom limb sensation. Have you ever heard of that before? Nope. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I'm sure you probably have once I kind of explain it to you. It's, it has to do with amputees, people who lose a, a limb, either an arm or a leg, or it could be an eye or, or some body part, through a horrific accident or maybe through some surgery that they need. They have that arm or that leg removed, and then about a, 60 to 80% of those people, so the majority of them, at some point down the line, they have these phantom limb sensations. In other words, they have the sense that that limb is still there, either because it's some pain that they feel in that limb that's not there, feels like it's all contorted and bent out of shape in a way that it shouldn't be normally, or that it feels like it's just kind of freakishly shorter than it should be, six inches shorter than it was, foot shorter than it should be. Or maybe it's just an itchy or, or tingling sensation or just a sensation that it should be there. So, you know, should have an arm there, want to reach for the glass, reach for the glass, but, oh yeah, that's right, I don't have it. The, the thing is with these people, it's not that they're crazy. It, it's not that they just woke up from the anesthesia and so they're still kind of dealing with the aftermath of the amputation or the accident. They know that they don't have the limb and yet their minds are still telling them that it's there. I want you to think about that today because, in a sense, as, as human beings, 
we all are born into this world with a phantom limb sensation of a sort. Not that we're amputees, but that we all have this sense that something should be there, that something was there, but it's not. And it gets us going down this road in life that gets us reaching and grabbing for, for this thing and that thing, for more of, of this thing and that thing, whether it's relationships or it's, it's money and stuff or, or it's, it's success or it's um, some type of, of fame and recognition. Whatever it is, we start grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and, and yet it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe we get it, but even when we get it, it might make us feel okay for a while and then, and then that phantom limb sensation comes back. It, it still feels like well, something's still missing there. Something's not right. Or, or maybe we don't get it, but we find ourselves always longing for what that other person has or what those people in those magazines have. That, that's what I need and then, then I'm going to be happy. I want you to think about that today as we look at the words of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, a book that maybe, maybe you've spent some time in, maybe you've done a sermon series on it, maybe not. I mean, it's kind of one of those books that's tucked away after Psalms and Proverbs and kind of forgotten. But, but it's written by, most likely, King Solomon. You know, King Solomon, who was described in Scripture as the, the wisest man to ever live, wiser than those before him, wiser than those after him. And in this book... Solomon is, in a sense, talking about that phantom limb sensation. He's talking about that, that, that sensation that, that we have, that there's this, this, this tension that we, we have that we want to relieve by filling something in our life to give us that full sense of life, uh, you know, peace, security, joy that we need. And, and Solomon, in this book, is really describing his own pursuit to fill that void. As he reached and grabbed for all sorts of things, and he, he likes to say the phrase, under the sun. In other words, uh, everything that this world has to offer. And boy, I mean, as you look at, at Solomon and his life, and as you look at this book, you'd have to say if there's anyone that could really talk from, from, from that sort of standpoint about having tried everything and then being able to say, well, this is what I found. I mean, if, if there's anybody that can do it, it's definitely Solomon. Because boy, Solomon... He had everything in a very earthly, worldly sense. I mean, just, just think of, of, uh, of what the Bible says about Solomon. And if you, you, you want to th- see, see more, you can go back and you can look at 1 Kings chapter 4, 1 Kings chapter 10. Um, and, and just look at those throughout the week and just think about the words we're going to read from him today. Think about Ecclesiastes against that backdrop. But just to give you some highlights, I mean, just, just think of who Solomon was. He was the king of the kingdom of Israel at a, a time when that kingdom was at its height. Its boundaries would get no bigger than it was. It would never see a time of peace quite like Solomon saw. He was a king. He was a wealthy king. Uh, um, he, you know, there's a whole chapter, a couple chapters actually, that are devoted to how much wealth he had. But just to give you a few highlights, for example, it says in, in 1 Kings chapter 10 that Every year, he had 25 tons of gold that would come to him. That was his yearly revenue just in gold. Silver, it says, was way too common, um, so it really wasn't even worth as much because he had so much of it. But, but gold, 25 tons coming in just into his personal treasury, and that's not even counting all the other revenues that came to him. I, you do the math. I mean, per ounce, I think the price of gold is almost $2,000. 
It's like $1.5 billion if you were getting that today. And I realize it's not quite the same exchange rate, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's still the most, one of the most expensive, most precious metals out there. And, and that's what Solomon was getting in year after year, you know, increasing his wealth exponentially. The Bible says that he not only had wealth, but um, he had women in his life. Uh, one of those things that's kind of part of the, the seedy side of some of the, 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 the men and, and, and women of Scripture that, um, you know, he had many, many women in his life. 700 wives, actually. 300 concubines. I mean, if he picked up, well, every year some more wives, that'd be about, what, 20 a year? So, I mean, when he talks about pleasure in the book of Ecclesiastes, when he talks about pursuing things like that, I mean, he, he can speak from a position where, yeah, he's right or wrong, he's, he's lived it, he's tried it. Uh, we're told that he undertook many building projects, um, things that, you know, he could say, yeah, this, this is what I did. It says he built gardens and, and orchards and, and parks and palaces, not just one, but many he was the one that built the temple for God in all of its lavish beauty. All of those things he undertook. Finally, the Bible says that he was, he was wiser than everyone else. The Bible says that if you were someone and you had the means to do it, you would go and you would sit at Solomon's feet. There are some, some 3,000 proverbs that people would you know, go out to the bookstore. Obviously, they didn't have those, but you know, something like that. And they would, they would try to get access to what Solomon said. Or he wrote a thousand and five songs. They would try to get those because if you read something Solomon wrote or if you sat at his feet, you knew you were going to walk away saying, wow, I never thought about it before. Never looked at life like that before. And so it's this man, Solomon, that God inspired to write these words before us in Ecclesiastes. It's this man, Solomon, that lived it and learned from it that God had write these words for us so that as we look at life and we think about that, that phantom limb sensation that's in us, that, that void that's in us, that he could tell us, I've, I've tried everything. You know, my heart too was looking for more as the answer. My heart too was looking for something different to fill that void. But you know what? More is just a myth. More isn't what you're really looking for. There's something else. That's the answer. Let's take a look at the words that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we'll kind of go through those words point by point or verse by verse and just consider what he says here. Now, I, I got to admit to you that these words here deal specifically with money, and the commandments in, in the ninth and 10th commandment, they don't deal with just wanting more money that you don't have. But I guarantee you that if you read the rest of Ecclesiastes, you definitely see that you could fill... Uh, anything else, and whether it's power, status, success, um, coveting some other people in our life, a relationship, as though that's going to be the answer to fill that void. It, it doesn't matter what you fill in. Solomon would agree that those words here, they, just, they, they still apply just the same. What he says here would apply just the same. They're just not going to be enough. Let's look at those words in front of us today. So we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. And in verse 10 it says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. I think those words almost speak for themselves, but I mean, I guess just to give you sort of a, an analogy from life, I mean, uh, 
wealth or anything else, if we look for that to fill that, that void that's there, well, it's always going to be like an addiction, you know, a substance addiction of some sort. You know, if you've ever dealt with that or if you've ever experienced that yourself, that's where you're looking for that good feeling that that substance gives you. And, and, and you get it that first time, you enjoy it, but then you need to get back to it. Well, only what you find is that, well, it only took this amount that first time. The next time you go back to it, it takes a little bit more. And then to get you back the next, the next time after that, it takes a little bit more. And a little bit more, and you've got to do it more frequently to get back to that feeling, that sense of satisfaction, or whatever it is, that sense of escape that it gives you. And then more and more, and, and it's never enough. And in the same way, the Bible says that when we look to wealth, when we look to money, when we look to power or status, those things are, like are going to feed a hunger, a fire that's never going to go out. We're always going to want more. It's going to become like an addiction to us. And, and we're simply going to want more and need more. Let's go on to verse 11 there. It says, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? There's often this idea that money can, can solve all my problems. And it's certainly true that, I mean, yeah, it does help pay the bills. It, it does give you access to other things that you wouldn't have had before. I, I'm not going to deny that. And, and certainly money is a great blessing of God. And, and yet we, we'd have to realize that whether it's money or it's success, or maybe it's seeking out a different relationship to find that fulfillment in life, money and all those things, they bring a whole set of new problems into your life. You know, money, for instance, Solomon says, and he could, he could speak from the standpoint of one who's done it, tried it, known it. Well, I mean, you, 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 you get more money and we would pay more taxes. For Solomon, he got more money and it just meant that he had more people knocking at his door to eat that money, it says in the Hebrew, to, to get that money. You get different people in your life and if that's what you're looking for to give you the ultimate satisfaction in life, you find out, well, actually, um, they're not perfect, just like the people I had in my life and before me. You could somehow change your kids, and well, you'd find out that the new kids would be just as imperfect as the ones before them. It doesn't matter. Money and things and, and those things that we find our hearts craving for, they, they are never going to solve everything, and they're going to bring some new problems, too. If we go on to verse 12, it says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Money's not going to bring you the peace of mind that you, you want either. Now, again, Solomon was one who could speak firsthand of that, but there's been many examples of, of very wealthy people throughout history that, that also would fall into that category and say amen to what Solomon, what Solomon says, or they would say that too late. Uh, example of uh, John D. Rockefeller comes to mind. You know, uh, a man who in the 1890s at the age of 53 already had a billion dollars, which at that time was unheard of. The only billionaire at that time as far as I know. Bringing in millions of dollars each year. And yet, for all that he had, we're told that he, he just ate crackers and drank milk and he couldn't sleep at night. Because he was also the man that when he was asked, well, well, how much money is enough money? He would say, well, just a little bit more. 
because it, 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 it doesn't matter what you have. If you're looking for peace and security in it, it's, it's never going to last. It's never going to be enough. Finally, as we go on to the, the, the last few words here, Solomon reminds us just how short-lived that money is. It's not going to bring us peace of mind because we can never count on it throughout life and certainly not in death. He says this, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Who knows what's going to happen with that money? Who knows what's going to happen with any relationship? Who knows what's going to happen with that power or success? It can be here and then with a stock market crash, you know, half, two-thirds of it can be gone. Finally, it can be here and like the rich fool in Jesus' parable in Luke 12, you know, you can have it all set there, all ready to go, thinking, man, I am set for life and then you die. Naked, you came into this world, nothing in your hand to speak, to speak for yourself with. And naked you leave. Even if you're a billionaire, you're going to leave and take nothing with you. And it's all going to go to someone else who might, might do well with it or, well, they might not. As Solomon looks at life, he looks at wealth, he looks at pleasures, he looks at pursuits, and building projects, and success, and popularity. He looks at all these things. He's experienced all these things. He's felt that same void in his heart that you and I feel. And he sought out more to fill it. As Solomon looks at all of these things, and he, he uses the phrase a couple times here and throughout his book, he's experienced all these things under the sun, all the things that this world has to offer, and he says, it's meaningless. Well, that's really maybe not even the best word for it. It's, it's the Hebrew word hevel, which has to do with a, a vapor or a mist. In other words, it's, well, you, you try to grab vapor, you try to grab mist. You can't hold on to it. It's there. So it's not to say that these things under the sun, wealth or other things like that, blessings God has put into our life are a nothing. He certainly wouldn't say that. But it's just that when you try to hold on to those things, when you try to have those be the thing that fills that void in our hearts, it's just never going to do it, and more is never going to be enough. Those things just, just aren't going to fill that void for us. That more is a myth. And that's exactly where Solomon's words come together with the words of those ninth and 10th commandments about coveting. Because as Solomon looks at all of this stuff, and as those commandments talk about all of the different things that we can set our hearts on and think, if I just get more of that, then I'm going to be happy. Solomon said, the problem isn't with that stuff or those people. The problem finally is with what's going on here. The problem, and this is where the ninth and 10th commandments then bring us back to that first commandment, the problem is that we've got this void in our heart that's aching for the eternal. It's 
Solomon talks about that in chapter 3 of his book, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And, and, and forever through our, our, our lives, we're seeking to fill that eternal void that's there with the, the love, the peace, the joy, the happiness that only God can give us through his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. It's just that these ninth and these tenth commandments are there to remind us that our hearts are sinful and that those sinful hearts are are never going to be inclined to go to God to fill that void. Those sinful hearts are always going to be more inclined to, well, to listen to our, our, our culture, a culture that you know, has unparalleled access to, to stuff and, and to opportunities. Culture that uh, one writer has, has said, and I think he's right, has deified dissatisfaction. In other words, they basically said the, the ultimate thing in this life is to never be happy with what you have, and you always got to get more, you always got to get newer, you always got to get better. Our hearts are always going to be more prone to listen to a culture that says, well, you know, if, if you think that's going to make you happy, or if you're sure that it's going to make you happy, then you might as well just go for it. Regardless of what that means for those other blessings in your life what that means you're sacrificing when it comes to your family as you chase after that wealth or, or maybe after that success or that recognition. Regardless of what that means as, as you bend your morals and you flex them, our hearts are always going to be more prone to, to listen to that lie, that myth of more than to, to listen to that God, that true God screaming in his word, I'm over here, I'm over here, I am what you want. And if we're not careful, if we don't keep those ninth and 10th commandments in, in front of us, reminding us of what the real issue is, that that real issue is here, then pretty soon, step by step by step, we're walking a little further and further away from that God who has just what we need to fill that, that phantom limb sensation to really give us satisfaction. And then we'll learn that lesson the eternally painful way, way too late. Or finally, in hell, we experience what Jesus called the gnashing of teeth, that frustration and knowing that I, I had it in front of me. He was right there. That's what I needed all my life, and now forever I can't have that. Dear friends in Christ, though, the, the awesome thing about our God is that, you know, he, just when he, he empties us of any pride and, and sense of self-sufficiency with these commandments, Think of that. We got it all down and we got everything straight. Just when he empties us and, and shows us just how corrupt we are, that's when God is ready to fill us up. When God is ready to give us just what we need to fill that void. Because think about who that God is. He didn't look at us and our, our, our ignorant hearts, our hearts that just so foolishly go after all these things and never look to him. He didn't look at us and say, well, I guess I'm going to leave them behind and go to something new. And said it was just at that time that he started to, to pursue us. That he sent into motion that plan that, well, well, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 where he says, And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, rich in every way, totally, totally complete and fulfilled and, and satisfied, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. That son of his, Jesus, came into this world not to enjoy bliss and not to take but to give, to live a life that was perfect in every way and to give us that perfection that, that we need to stand before God totally 
complete before him to give us that perfection as a gift. That son came into this world not to enjoy bliss and to, and to enjoy success and, and power, which he rightly could have, but to climb a cross and to endure everything that our sinful seeking and as Solomon calls our chasing after the wind deserved, which was isolation from that father, that totally satisfying father on the cross. And through that poverty that he experienced there, through that, it, it says we are truly wealthy. We are, are, are filled up with everything that we need. We are rich in forgiveness, taking away every last sin that we have. We are rich in eternal blessings, as, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. E- even when it all looks upside down compared to the way that world looks, the world looks at things, that we are rich in the knowledge that that God is, is for us and that nothing can stand against us. Rich in the fact that that God is going to be by our side and he's going to equip us with everything that we need. Rich in knowing that those other things aren't going to satisfy us, but Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, he will. I find it interesting that once we know how empty those things are, in the sense of filling that eternal void, once we see how meaningless they are when it comes to that void, then Solomon says, then we're really ready to live a content life. Then we've really got what we need. If you just look at those last three verses, it talks about the very simple life, but it's, it's a life that comes when God points this out to us through the ninth and 10th commandments and, and then points us back to that first commandment and gets us thinking about what he is and what he gives us. Solomon says this, after he's gone through all that other stuff and says this wealth and all the other stuff is meaningless, he says all his days, or sorry, he says in verse 18, then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink, to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, and God certainly does, but this is the key, and he enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, this, this is a real gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. As we think about this simple life of simple contentment, let's just put together everything that we've talked about with the, the, the commands about coveting, with Solomon's words. You know, how, how does God enable us to be happy with much, little, whatever it is that we have. I think the first thing that we have to walk away from uh, God's word today with is, is this, that we need to kill covetousness. Like I mentioned to the children before, it, it's like a fire within us that, that if we don't put it out, it's not going to just stay on one cushion in the couch. It's going to engulf the whole house. It's going to overtake our hearts. It's going to destroy us and ruin us. And the way that we kill that, the way that we extinguish that fire that burns in us, so we go to God's law and see it for what it is. It's not okay, no matter what the world says. It's not the answer. Then we need to flee to Jesus and flee to his righteousness. We need to put out that fire, especially with baptism, because there in baptism, God put to death that sinful heart with all of its desires, and there in that baptism, God made us new. He clothed us with Christ's righteousness, and there he's assured us that everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus has, 
That's how you stand before your Father in heaven. And God's not going to withhold anything from him, and he's certainly not going to withhold anything from you. And through that, God says he's instilled in you those new desires that you need, those new desires to want what God wants and be happy with what he gives. And I would say, based on the gospel lesson, covet, if I can use that word, covet eternity. Covet God's eternal blessings, Christ's righteousness. Be happy with those things. Wake up every morning and say, how is God going to give me more of that? And be sure to look in his word. Be sure to look in those places where God says, there, I'm always going to give you more of that. Then trust your heavenly father. Trust the father that we just sang about and, and, and we sang that he didn't spare his only son. He gave him up for us all. If that father knew what to do to take care of our biggest problem, then don't you think that he knows what to do in your life and how much you really need to, to, to be what he's made you to be here, to be his child, to be his servant? He's going to give you everything that you need and trust that he's going to give you nothing that you don't because he knows. So be happy with what he has given you because I guarantee you this, if you're not happy with what he has given you, then getting that thing that you really, really want, you're not going to be happy when you get that either. And then finally, based on those last words there, busy yourself with what God has given you. Don't worry about the, the, the family that your neighbor has. Don't worry about the marital relationship that they have. Don't worry about the amount of wealth that they have. Busy yourself with what God has given you because he's given them that stuff. He's given you, your people, your stuff. He's given you that opportunity to serve them and think about their needs because that's your way to serve him, by filling their needs, by managing your wealth, by um, taking care of your relationships and being attentive to those needs. That phantom limb sensation, it, it's, it's there. It's real. But know that more isn't ever going to fill it. More is just a myth. It's only God and his love, his grace, and mercy. It's going to give us what we truly need. God grant that. Amen. At this time, we'll confess those commandments responsively using um, what's printed on page 5, page 6, in your worship folder. Please stand at this time. The ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or obtain it by false claims, but do all we can to help him keep it. The Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his workers or his animals or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God we do not force or entice away from our neighbor, his wife, workers, or animals.